H-I-A-C. Yes, we paused for a moment of silence uh, just to pick up the background noise. H-I-A-C Talk Radio. Dan Colachico. Craig Legans is here. Uh, we're waiting for the third man. He is the third man. The third leg Derek, Derek, Derek has betrayed WCW. And who wouldn't? Uh, AEW might be going the way of WCW. Everything is lining up for them. Should be fine. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I don't... I had a great rant last week, and it didn't piss anybody off, and I left it unedited. The only thing I edited was uh, I kept the silence out of it, so I made it a faster clip. Uh-huh. But uh, kind of proves my theory. All spineless. The only time you don't, uh, only time that promoters or wrestlers become unspineless is uh, when they're like, "Who'll beat you up, fat boy?" And I'm like, "I'm not really. That doesn't really help. That, like, all you're gonna, I'll still be right. I'll just have my ass kicked, and it won't be the first time, and apparently won't be the last. But my point is, is uh, when are you gonna grow a spine and protect your business other than protecting the business?" Kayfabe died a long time ago. Maybe it's time to take care of the people that are in the business, but uh, you never will. Uh, and if you are wondering what the hell I said, HICTalkRadio.com. Uh, Craig? There. Let's start with a historian, because apparently something was missed, and I know what's coming up on this episode anyway, and uh, unfortunately look forward to talking about this man. But anyway, uh, it's your show for now. It's our show for always, and well, yeah, sure. uh, we will uh, dive back uh, into um, the the history of uh, the great sport we once loved and we once shared with millions, not hundreds of thousands of people on a given weeknight. Millions of people uh, watched the uh, professional wrestling in arenas coliseums stadiums high school gymnasiums throughout all 50 states and where millions upon millions would watch wrestling on nationwide television on cable uh each and every week regardless of who was on it or who was not on it and there were things called pay-per-views that once a month would galvanize the wrestling industry all this and more on a special look back edition of the wrestling historian. Uh, last when last we joined you <laughs> last ABC, time on uh, previously on HIE Talk Radio, uh, we were talking about um, the the week that was was um, Halloween Havoc week and our tributes and our favorite memories of Halloween Havoc, and I was. Uh, bumfuzzled and be struck with uh the huge uh oversight that uh that took place when discussing Halloween Havoc because any discussion about Halloween Havoc or the history of Halloween Havoc uh is incomplete without talking about possibly not only the best match ever at Halloween Havoc Possibly the best match ever on a WCW pay-per-view. And far and away, uh, the single greatest cruiserweight match 
in WCW history. Um, we're talking about all the great Halloween Havocs. I didn't mention Halloween Havoc 1997 between the match between the Phantom, Rey Mysterio, and the reigning defending Cruiserweight champion at the time, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, a match took place October 27th, um, 1997. Um, I watched it again. Uh, even I was I was watching it before I realized it was the the anniversary <laughs> of, uh, of the show because um, I've seen it so many times and I never get tired of seeing it. Um, and I'm I've watched it so often on mute that I forget that there was four people on commentary for this match. And it was amazing. <laughs> and it was amazing. You, uh, you had Tony Schiavone, Mike Tenay, uh, Dusty Rhodes, and Bobby Heenan talking about this this match. Um, hey, uh, title versus mask. Ray's mask was on the line. And as soon as I saw Ray come out in uh, the Phantom gear, that was to uh, his promotion of the box office disaster that was the Phantom starring Billy Zane even though it was being promoted on TBS uh, and nationwide expected to be a, a get put it um, get this folks. Um, it was a comic book movie that expected to do big box office. The Phantom was a comic strip um, popular in the, uh, in the sixties. I was even the Phantom for Halloween one year. That's how much I love the Phantom, the ghost who walks um, and oops. And <laughs> but Rey Mysterio was dressed as a phantom, even though if he lost the match, he would lose his mask. And uh, anyone would have a brain could see Ray's uh outfit was a complete body from head to toe, so to get the mask off him was going to be pretty rough. Uh, and Eddie came out, uh, wearing dragging the belt over his shoulder. And I've always said it, um. Is before I he became my favorite wrestler. Uh, Eddie Guerrero, WCW Eddie Guerrero was the best version of Eddie Guerrero as far as far as um, matches and his body. Uh, even Bobby Heenan and Mike Tenay commented on how great a shape he was in. Eddie Guerrero in in 19, WCW Eddie Guerrero was peak physical peak Eddie Guerrero. And if you see watch this match on Halloween Havoc '97, his his body looked amazing, absolutely amazing. And uh watch it again. And this was Eddie and Ray still, uh, both of them said that this was their favorite match um that they've ever had. And Eddie said on, on his own documentary, um, that when he looks back on that match, that's the only match he looks back on and say, wouldn't change a thing. It's so good. And yeah, we watched it too. Uh, only because we started laughing at um, we started laughing about <laughs> Dusty's uh, attempt at saying athleticism, athleticism, <laughs> amazing feat of athleticism. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, no, no. I have no idea what no you idea mean, what Dusty. You mean. <laughs> Nobody does. Sorry, buddy. No, and. <laughs> Early in the match, about 10 minutes in, uh, Ray went to the uh, top rope and did a springboard DDT on Eddie, a move that he had never done before 
and has never done since. He only did it in that match against Ray. He only did it in that match against Ray, and it still holds up as one of the single greatest moves in the Ray Mysterio arsenal. Again, that he never did before, and he's never done again because it was completely organic for him to do a backflip into a DDT on Eddie. And um, that's just because of the amazing innate chemistry that you both had. It's just perfect. Yeah. From start to finish. Yeah. Uh, Which is why I was kicking myself after our, our last telecast that we're, if we're talking about if the entire historian segment was about Halloween havoc and I missed that match. We missed that one. Well, I missed that one. The, The best, Still, maybe the best match to, in my opinion, in, in Halloween Havoc history, and one of the best matches in in wrestling history, maybe the best match in WCW history, and possibly the best match in WCW pay per view history. I, I, I mean, hard for me to argue that point as well. Yeah, every part of that is perfect from start to finish. It just is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're give and take, and Eddie and Ray uh, obviously have had so many great matches after that. Um, not just on WCW, but in the WWE, um, they became WWE tag team champions, and um, obviously have a long had a long uh, history of matches between those two. But um, yeah, that Halloween Havoc match will always be the. Uh, the the zenith for that oh god yeah and the fact that it holds up for so long yeah it just uh, it holds up against anything mm-hmm. anything any match you put at it yeah happening now yeah it's no touching it Mm-mm. look up halloween havoc it's on youtube you don't have to pay for the damn thing <laughs> uh ray mysterio Eddie Guerrero, Halloween Havoc, nineteen ninety-seven. Yes, just let's look up Halloween Havoc ninety-seven. Gu- uh, Guerrero Mysterio, first thing yeah. that pops up. Yeah, the crowd um, was on fire. Like I don't understand how you watch that. Mm-hmm. And Eric Bischoff's not like, huh? <laughs> we should do something. Well, just like, and you know, just the cruiserweights. As a whole, because and we've mentioned this on past um, podcasts um, about the amazing pop, the biggest pop that Chris Jericho ever had in his life was for a cruiserweight match, the cruiserweight battle royal. The fans are standing, jumping up and down with Dean Malenko just taking off his mask. And this is during, and this is during right in the middle of the, the of the NWO period, but the biggest pop of the night was for uh, a cruiserweight battle royal, and Dean Malenko taking off his mask. The best match of Halloween Havoc '97 was Eddie and Ray, again in a cruiserweight match, and never mind all these guys went on to become great heavyweights and heavyweight champions, but you had you had gold right there, you know, and um right in your own backyard and like under your nose. Yeah. And, and and we'll get to AEW in a second, but it's, it's, 
when you have all these uh, talents that fans want to see and you're not giving it to them and um it reflects in your in your ratings and your attendance um uh, because in WCW people were coming people would watch you know the whole show but the matches they the people they wanted to see they were behind they watched in record numbers and they cheered for at the live crowds and yeah everyone wore their NWO shirts but I'll tell you the best match of the night was who whatever Eddie Ray Dean Malenko Juventud whatever they were doing but yes I digest speaking of um <laughs> the fans and getting to and wanting to see what was big um this week in pro wrestling history um you'll notice a name um being used over uh you'll you'll notice a pattern um i talked talked about uh halloween havoc 97 the best match um on that pay-per-view november 6 1994 some would still argue maybe the best pay-per-view uh uh, by any company in history was the November 6, 1994 AAA when worlds collide. The pay-per-view, some would say that changed professional wrestling. Um, it was at the LA Sports Arena and they had 15,000 fans. And this was in 1994, folks. And in 1994, the worst year, the worst year financially for professional wrestling uh, in both companies. Uh, the, the AWA had gone, had since gone out of business. Uh, the A, the end up, the uh, NWA was no more WCW and WWF were the, uh, the big two, but money was down across the board. I mean, there was a um, financial wise in the United States, there was a depression uh, and that affected the wrestling business. Like anytime the economy goes bad in the, in, when the economy has been bad in the United States, professional wrestling would survive. Uh, you could still get a sellout even in uh, in an, a country where there was economic, you know, a downturn. But in 1994, uh, it wasn't happening. Uh, there was ratings were down. Uh, live crowds were really down. Uh, Kevin Nash still holds the record for being the least. Uh, drawing WWF champion of all time, um, and which is not entirely his fault, again, because of the economic status of the United States. I say all that because in Los Angeles, on the West Coast, in Mexico, the AAA Wrestling Federation was selling out the LA Sports Arena every single month without fail. And the number one team doing that was Los Gringos Locos, uh, the team of Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero. Not only were they the biggest heel team, heel tag team in that company, they were the biggest heel tag team in the United States. Uh, No one was getting heat like these two guys were. No other tag team, not single wrestler, tag team. We're drawing sellout crowds anywhere except these two guys. 
And the culmination took place uh, when worlds collide because they had been drawing such record. They were doing such record business when no other wrestling organization in the United States were that Eric Bischoff, one of the few things he did get right <laughs> was I'm going to capitalize on this and I want to uh, produce this and have some of my wrestlers on this card and get this pay-per-view uh, get this show on a pay-per-view so more people could see it. And uh, it was other people were, were that uh, Chris Benoit was on the show in a mask as the Pegasus kid, uh, Louis Spicoli. This was the first time that American audiences saw Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis on this When Worlds Collide. Uh, pay-per-view and the main event was uh, Octagon and El Hijo Del Santo against Los Gringos Locos, uh, Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero in a three falls match and each fall was an elimination bout so both members of the team had to be defeated in order to win the match. A concept that was uh, innovative at the time and for some reason has never been duplicated you know, yeah, we, really, we can have the the uh, a case door slam on somebody's head every year since 1982, but no one can take this elimination bout, elimination tag team bout. The only way you can win, you have to pin both members of the team. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, uh, EO DeSanto and and um, Octagon won of the bout. Uh, speaking of homework, if you're going to watch. Halloween Havoc 97 with Eddie and Ray. Watch When Worlds Collide. Los Gringos Locos versus Octagon and El Hijo Del Santo. Uh, it went about 28 minutes. Um, again, amazing action. The fans were just up in arms, and the heat that uh, Guerrero and Art Bar got was um, just, you couldn't see it anywhere else. And again, in 1994, when business was down across the United States, except in L.A., these two guys were the hottest thing that happened. Why I said it was a pay-per-view that changed wrestling, because, like I said, this is the first time American audiences uh, saw Rey Mysterio, Psychosis, uh, Chris Benoit, Louis Piccoli, and uh, Art Barn and Eddie Guerrero, and all of them got signed Um to one of the big two. And I should say three because ECW was um, at the time the third viable pro wrestling uh, company. And because of the When Worlds Collide pay-per-view, uh, Ray, Psychosis, Juventude, uh, Louis Spicoli were all picked up by ECW. The plan was to bring in Los Gringos Locos, because Philly fans, smart fans, tape traders already knew how insanely popular Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero were. So they were going to come into ECW as a team and kind of be what the Dudley boys turned out to be, the most popular team in in, in ECW. And sadly, it did not work out that way because when Worlds Collide, um, the main event between... Los Gringos Locos and Octagon and El Hijo Del Santos, Los Gringos Locos losing the bout 
uh, Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero, and that will be Art Bar's last match ever. Yeah. Is that on the network? No. Hmm. No. Um, well, why the they, fuck not? <laughs> I don't know. Why so many uh, shows from other uh, territories aren't on the network? And I there's suppose. a lot that are. Yeah. So why that? Uh. Yeah, because it wasn't. It technically wasn't a WCW uh, pay per view. Oh sure. But yeah. So yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, that's uh eh, interesting. Uh, I hope I can find that on YouTube or something. Yeah, even if it's just that match. Um, the the, the uh, paper, yeah. <laughs> I remember it was on the network before it was on the cock. Um, it was on the WWE network. But yeah, uh, when Worlds Collide, November 6th, 1994, maybe the pay-per-view that changed professional wrestling because uh, more stars came out of that match that became mainstream successes. And this is the first time American audience had seen any of these uh, professional wrestlers. And they all got signed. They all got their big breaks and we have when worlds collide to thank for that that was november 6th. thank you when worlds collide thank you when worlds collide um that was also the first time uh the the, the commentators mike Tenay and crispy cruiser chris cruz um they oh called God. it <laughs> expertly well well uh, well they, two out of three ain't bad uh, no comment yeah Hey, Chris seems like a great guy. Yeah, great, uh, great announcer. I will, I can't say that. Sure, he knew his stuff. Uh, I, we're <laughs> just gonna have to agree to disagree on that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, he was a comedy. I'll just let you have that one. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you. Have. Thank you for letting Thank me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, I'll give it to you. I'll give you Thank that you. one. Thank you. <laughs> um, and we'll, ne- and we'll never speak of this again. Uh, yeah. We'll never ever talk about this again. <laughs> uh, November seventh, nineteen eighty-five. Speaking of pay-per-views that changed professional wrestling forever, um, not on the scale of when worlds collide, not on the scale of um, uh, Halloween Havoc, but uh, November seventh, nineteen eighty-five, was the WWF Wrestling Classic that was Dan the first. WWF pay-per-view ever. Ah, It wasn't WrestleMania. That was on closed-circuit television. The first pay-per-view in WWF history was the Wrestling Classic where there would be a one-night tournament where the winner would get a brand-new 1986 Cadillac. Ooh. Ooh. I couldn't do that yesterday. It would have been crippling. Well, we don't want to cripple you. No, uh, no, no. Not today. Night, <laughs> the one-night tournament. Uh, he had some crazy matchups. Uh, Moondog spot uh, beat Terry Funk by countout. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, and it was only because Terry Funk didn't want to wrestle. And so he walked and he told the guy. I'm not going out there. Wrestling. Yeah. And I don't want to. And he uh, 
He said, no, I don't want it. He walked through, and then the referee was counting, and the referee counted to 10 and spot one. And, go, and he gave that Terry Funk fit, like, how, how dare he lost the match to that guy. And they were afterwards, he beat up Moondog Spot. Um, and uh, Moondog Spot went on in the tournament, and he would lose to JYD and then the very next round in under a minute. So I don't know what the, but it was to see Terry Funk throw a fit. Um, and all, one of the uh, first round tournament matches, Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat. Um, Savage would win, uh, and then he would go up against uh, Davy Boy Smith, and that was the first time in that second round match that I saw a top rope superplex. Oh wow! That Davy Boy gave to Randy, and when Davy Boy went to float over, it was Randy who pinned him. I had never seen that before. And that was in 1985, so Savage would win and go on to the finals where he would face the eventual winner, Junkyard Dog, who would win the belt by a countout. Uh, and so Savage... First pay-per-view in there, and, and it's countouts. And it's a countout. And okay. so much... And it, I, it, it bothers commentator Jesse Ventura so much because Dog barely had to wrestle anyone. I uh, beat Spot in a minute, Moondog Spot in a minute, and got um, there was a double disqualification, uh, I think between Paul Orndorff and Bob Orton, so he got to go right to the finals. And Savage was going through Ricky Steamboat, Davy Boy Smith. Well, he uh, should have tried harder then. Yeah, uh, but uh, Dog won by a countout. And the main event of the wrestling classic was Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Piper in their first match since WrestleMania, uh, which went to a the disqualification. But uh, yeah, the wrestling classic, very first pay-per-view, and was at the time one of the biggest selling videotape in the history of Coliseum home video, uh, the wrestling classic, because it wasn't televised. And there was only way you could see it was on pay-per-view. And if you rented the video, that answers my question that most shows that started on pay-per-view eventually got a video release, but I'm assuming that started with Crockett, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming cause this is 85. So mm-hmm. that's two years after Starcade was a pay-per-view. Yeah. I believe. Right. Yes. First Starcade was, uh, we're, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary, uh, later this month. Oh my god. <laughs> we'll do that for another one. But that was a flare for the gold, was that not? Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I wonder. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, jeez. Uh the wrestling class, you know I've never seen it. Never? And I I'm looking at the match times for this. Mm-hmm. I've seen footage of it, but I've never sat down to watch this. Because, yeah. I mean, there's 15 matches. Mm-hmm. None of them go above 10 minutes. So I could probably bust it out in about an hour. Or not an hour, but about two hours. <laughs> yeah, and you could fast forward through a lot of it because... um, uh, It looks like I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, watch the Terry Funk Moondog spot spot, and the uh, the uh, Savage um, Davy Boy. You can watch the Savage Steamboat just to see where they would start, where they started 
Yeah, that's only four minutes. I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was when they that was their first match together, and that was when they started forming their chemistry. Because I think Steamboat said, uh, it might have been in a um one of his uh YouTube um videos um that that was one that was their first match, but it was the first time that Savage afterwards said, you know, we got to work, we got to work together again. We got we got to do something, and um, little did I know where we take them two years later. Because they didn't have a lot of matches leading up to the the uh, in their intercontinental title um, feud, um, but they always had this. Um, and Steamboat said, "It's not like we hung out, you know. You know, we didn't. <laughs> he was. They're both notorious. Not his for, friend. Just you know, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> but they're both notoriously married people. You know, their their wives are very you know big in both of their lives." So, uh, but yeah, he said um, he he uh, he liked what Savage's um, and with with Flair, you know, Steamboat and Flair. We talked about the innate chemistry that Mysterio and Guerrero had. Steamboat and Flair um, never called a thing, called everything in the ring, never worked out oh, God, anything yeah. in um, in the dressing room. Savage was the complete opposite. They had a system. They had. Um, numbers assigned to their spots um, that they would memorize and that they had their whole WrestleMania three, that whole match was um, memorized that they had. Uh, same. Yeah. And it wouldn't be the same. And it would be a different sequence if they did it again, but they, he can just call out, they can just rem- or remember a number and that's how that's the next spot they would do. But Savage and Steamboat had something, Special and the first time they ever wrestled was on a forgotten pay per view. Um, forgotten tor- one night tournament match that went four minutes. I'm just I'm looking at the VHS cover, mm-hmm. and it's the official uh, Coliseum video presents the official World Wrestling Federation Wrestle Vision, a series of special events. The wrestling classic, and it has Hogan and Piper on the cover in the back. I have never seen this in my life. WrestleVision was that the only? God, he wanted to start a cable network slash uh, channel forever. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, because pay per views were going to revolutionize the business, and then once Coliseum with their home videos, and then they would start taping all their house show matches, regardless of where they were because they want to put all those matches on a, on a Coliseum video. So if you look at like a, a the, the, in the Coliseum line of videos had titles that were just the weirdest, strangest matches ever. And, or they just put a whole bunch of house show matches from across the country on one video. And what made it great for the wrestlers back then, wrestlers would all get paid for the sale of the Coliseum videos. So they were raking it in. Uh, the only person who wasn't at the time was Jesse Ventura, but that's another. It's a, that's a, for another. That changed later. Yeah, changed. <laughs> um, that would change a little later. Yeah, but um, yeah, but the Wrestling Classic was the first WWF pay per view ever. Ever? Do you hear me? Yeah, you fuckers. Ever? Yeah, it wasn't WrestleMania. Nope. It was uh-uh. The wrestling, ah, ah, it was a wrestling. Ah, ah. <laughs> and November 7, 1985. Hold on. Uh, 
uh, staying on the week of pay-per-views <laughs> or shows that change professional <laughs> well, people, wrestling. The people won't listening to this or watching this later won't know is there's about 30 minutes have passed <laughs> yeah. from the first from the wrestling classic topic to this. Uh, go ahead. But still seamless transition. Se- uh, seamless. Why? Because we're fucking professional. Yeah, we are. Uh, but we were talking about the theme of this uh, particular episode about pay-per-view that changed professional wrestling uh, forever and certain dates that changed professional wrestling. But we talked about the first uh, WWF pay-per-view ever, the Wrestling Classic. But on today in wrestling history, um, a title change hands that would change uh, professional wrestling, uh, mostly for the title holder. Because on the today, November eighth, nineteen seventy five, was when perennial undercard man, perennial tag team champion, and just all around good wrestler, but never seen as that guy. It all changed uh, when on November eighth, nineteen seventy five, in Saint Paul, Minnesota, Vern Gagne, the oh. AWA heavyweight champion would lose the title to one Nick Bockwinkle. And Nick Bockwinkle would hold, would go on to hold that title for four years straight. And in doing so, would not only be the most prolific AWA champion of all time, but would be the AWA champion to usher the AWA into the second biggest wrestling company in the United States. Because Nick Bockwinkle, not only did he wrestle all of the top contenders in the AWA, of which there were many, like Vern and like his former tag team partner, Ray Stevens, uh, but he would venture out into NWA strongholds. He was the first AWA champion to headline bouts in Houston for Paul Bosch. He took the NWA title to Toronto. And actually, and even defended that AWA championship against the WWF champion, Bob Backlund. It was Nick Bockwinkle who took the AWA championship to Memphis and had an incredible feud with Jerry Lawler. Uh, And once the Memphis left, uh, no longer was doing business in the NWA because Harley wasn't going to drop the belt in in Memphis. But Nick Bockwinkle was open to um, having matches with Lawler, losing a non-title match with Lawler or losing a stipulation matches with Lawler, but their matches in Memphis were uh, incredible, legendary. Um, And Nick Bockwinkle was the one that made it possible. Uh, His matches always drew, and his opponents um, were just, he made so many great matches matches and he made so many great wrestlers uh namely uh Gary Lawler didn't need any help but his matches against um Nick Bockwinkle fueled the fact you know kept Memphis alive and thought maybe give Memphis fans hope that maybe Gary Lawler could in fact be the world champion one day and it was his matches with Nick Bockwinkle that made it possible and let's not forget um even as short-sighted as the uh, president, as the promoter Vern Gagne was, it was Nick Bockwinkle who wrestled a very uh, an up-and-coming, incredibly popular wrestler named Hulk Hogan, who was coming off his, and Rocky's 
in Rocky three, but Hulk Hogan after Rocky three was the most popular wrestler in the United States. And he was wrestling in the AWA and going up against Nick Bockwinkle and selling out and selling out arenas and the crowds would be deafening. And I bring this up because not only did they drop the ball by not putting the belt on Hulk Hogan, but while Nick Bockwinkle and Hulk Hogan were having sellout matches and crowds are going going crazy. At this time, while Nick Bockwinkle was doing that, having great matches with Jerry Lawler and Hulk Hogan that same year, Nick Bockwinkle was 48 years old. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I didn't know that. Nick Bockwinkle began his career in the 50s, folks. <laughs> Son of the great Warren Bockwinkle. But uh, yeah, so Nick Bockwinkle. I'll take your word for that. Uh, his, his matches with um with Hulk Hogan in '83, that matches that put Hogan on the map, that got the uh the attention of of Vince McMahon Jr. Um, because Vince McMahon Sr. told Hogan if he does this movie with Sylvester Stallone, he can no longer work in the WWF again. Um, and he, okay, he brother, did, see ya. <laughs> but Vince Jr. saw a you know, another superstar Billy Graham here, blonde hair, big muscles, charisma, and um, obviously didn't abide by his father's wishes. But his yeah. matches with Nick Bockwinkle is what made Hulk Hogan um, a viable, hey, maybe this guy could be the world champion, just like he did with Jerry Lawler. Wow, maybe this guy could be because Nick Bockwinkle, consummate professional wrestler, uh, worker, promo didn't ha- I mean it didn't hurt that he had the world's greatest manager at his side but uh while Nick Bockwinkle was champion uh for four years he was the first world champion to come out with a big gold belt and wearing a suit uh something that Ric Flair copied uh quite a bit and it was Nick Bockwinkle with the blonde hair who would take he would take upon himself to talk with Gene Okerlund amongst all the humanoids. Um, the Nick Bockwinkle, Bobby Heenan, still, in my opinion, the greatest wrestler manager combination of all time. But it started today in 1975, uh, the four year run of the AWA heavyweight champion, Nick Bockwinkle. Question. Sir. Nick Bockwinkle, the greatest star to never wrestle for WWF, WCW? No, oh, unquestionably. Unquestionably. Um, Great. Uh, he would later go on to work for the WWF. And yes. I, I, remember, I remember one of the great pictures that Bill Aptor took, and it still shocks me, uh, of uh, Nick Bockwinkle, Bobby Heenan, and Blackjack Lanza all getting out of the same car. And these were like the cornerstones of the AWA for 20 years. But here they all are parking in the WWF parking lot and all getting out of the same car. Oh, so kind of surreal. Yeah, uh, the greatest wrestler to never wrestle, greatest champion to ever wrestle in, in the uh, the WWF. Yeah, Nick Bockwinkle. Um, it. Yeah, I can't. I can't even think of of who else. Nothing. No one else is coming to mind. Uh, I'm. I was always shocked that Abdul the Butcher was in the WWF Hall of Fame when he never wrestled, and never set foot in the WWF really? ring his entire <laughs> career. Uh, but now, now Nick, uh, we, know, we know all yeah. about that reason. Yeah. Now Nick did wrestle in Madison Square Garden, uh, not as a sure. champion, 
Um, but uh, no, but not never as a WT did he wrestle in the uh, in the WWF ring. Um, but yeah, greatest world champions. You know, when people talk about greatest world champions ever. Obviously, Bruno and and Flair comes about. Uh, but Nick Bockwinkle, uh, because I guess he's never because he was never in the big three in the big two. People just automatically assume WWF and NWA, but the AWA was the second biggest wrestling company in the United States uh, for most of its um, uh, tenure um, when it was uh, around. It was NWA, AWA, and the WWF was seen as a territorial belt because the champion wouldn't would only wrestle in the Northeast, whereas the AWA and NWA champions would wrestle all over the United States, like I mentioned. Bachwinkle wrestled in Toronto, in Houston, um, in Florida, in Los Angeles, in San Francisco. And yes, Derek, we still want you on. Um, bring ass on here. Um, yeah, I was uh, telling him, but we're cutting it off at 10, and I want to know if he wants to still get on here. Yeah. Uh, also today in wrestling history, um, the, today in, in 2005, uh, SmackDown taping in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, uh, we're turned out to be uh, it was a battle to see who would be on the uh, on the Batista's team for um, the Survivor Series, and uh, Mr. Kennedy would lose by disqualification uh, to Eddie Guerrero in what would be Eddie's final bout ever. But uh, in Vintage Guerrero, the referee, Charles Little Nate Robinson, would get knocked down. Eddie would leave the ring, grab a chair, come back in the ring, see the referee coming to, slam the chair on the mat so the referee could hear the noise and toss about, toss the, the chair to Kennedy and fall straight back and point to Kennedy with the chair in his hand. Charles Robinson would see Ken Kennedy with the chair in his hand, what heard the chair shot and immediately disqualified Kennedy for using the chair. The look on Kennedy's face, like, oh, it wasn't me. Um, priceless. Um, Eddie wins by lying, cheating, and stealing. Uh, again, priceless. Um, and that would air um, two days before. Uh, Eddie's tragic death on November 13th that would air November 11th, but it was taped today uh, in 2005 in in Indianapolis. I, it still seems uh, Eddie was too good. Yes, he was. Um, it still seems like that never happened. It seems surreal to me. Yeah, and Ian, when I I watched the bout again, Dan today, and uh, after the 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 afterbirth of that that match, when after Eddie wins um, by because he pretended that Kennedy hit him with a chair, well, Kennedy actually did hit him with the chair afterwards, and it was a heck of a chair shot. Uh, my first, my biggest fear was that was the thing that caused uh, Eddie's death, and you know. Well, I wasn't relieved to know that it was a heart attack, but uh, that it wasn't um, the trauma to his head um, that did it. Um, the worst irony was um, two years later on this very same date to um, 
November 8th, 2007, was the CNN special uh, called Death Grip um, that talked about the lives of professional wrestling wrestlers. Uh, This was in the wake of the death of Chris Benoit. Um, They mentioned um, Chris Canyon, um, who had had overdosed on sleeping pills uh, earlier that year. And uh, they just had people that they just like grabbed every professional wrestler they could, past, present, uh, and and even talked to local indie guys, people that have never met Chris Benoit day in their lives. Uh, to to talk about it, uh, I remember CM Punk was on it. Um, uh, Del Wilkes, uh, the Patriot, was oh, on. Wow, yeah. Um, uh, Dynamite Kids' ex-wife was on. And, and, and the one, the only person that had some cogent knowledge of it, and a person who's still fighting the good fight uh, when it comes to CTE, was Chris Nowinski. Uh, they only could think only guy that was like qualified to say something about it, but um, I don't I just the whole thing um just bugged me and I felt weird that it bugged me until I read uh Chris Jericho's book about it. And you know, we we obviously know how I feel about Chris Jericho, but he did write when he wrote in his book about um the death of uh Chris Benoit and the that particular um show uh that CNN put together. They just grabbed a whole bunch of wrestlers. I mean, even superstar Billy Graham was on one. Um, Nash was on this, wasn't he? Where yeah. Nash is just like holding back not to rip a new asshole. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, imagine, and we're, we we both love Preston and Steve, damn it. Imagine if a, if a morning show host in Davenport, Iowa, you know, killed his family and himself and they interviewed Preston and Steve about it. And it's like, so yeah, I guess radio is pretty tough, huh? I thank you. What do you want me to say? Um, this, no, it's it's like well, this business kills people, right? I mean, obviously, it happened in Davenport, Iowa. So, so this coal mining kills people. Yeah, you know? but yeah, it was, it was just the the amount of uh, wrestlers that were on every and not just CNN, but like a Nightline and when it was still a thing and uh, MSNB, every like late cable uh, outlet was grabbing it. I remember Mark Marrow was on one. Um and Mara at I don't least remember that. Yeah. Well, I well I listened to Mara because he at least had been in the ring with Benoit. But again, still, um, w- what makes him an authority to talk about? You know what happened? You know a guy that you worked with he killed his wife and his kid. Um, Nothing. what do you? I, he he didn't say anything to me about doing that. Like I I you know I I, I work with I don't fuck, I don't goddamn know. What am I? <laughs> One of my favorite, and this is a random aside. It just made me think about this. Did you ever hear Dave? Did you ever hear Dave Chappelle? I mean, random aside segment here, folks. Uh, Dan, did you ever hear Dave Chappelle talk about um, R. Kelly? Pass the sketch? No. Uh, when the when the R. Kelly documentary came out. Oh no, I didn't. Oh no, <laughs> no, I didn't. Dave Chappelle. This is on his his when it is. Uh, Netflix specially did like after. the guy who told on him like 20 years ago that that dish. Well, uh, well, he addressed it. He said, um, I because I, I got to talk about this, the R. Kelly documentary, because people have been asking me. Why weren't you in the R. Kelly special? 
or what did you have to say about the R. Kelly documentary? People want to know why you weren't in it. Why, why, why? So I'm going to say right now on this stage so I can get it out in the open. Finally, the truth can be said. Why, were, why weren't you in the R. Kelly special? And Dave Chappelle just said, I don't know that nigga. <laughs> Never been a day in my life. I, I found about him the same way you did. <laughs> Look, I don't know shit about this motherfucker. Oh fuck, that's funny. Yeah, but that's really funny. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to laugh at that? Oh yeah, you're like I laughed at. I we died. I was talking about that. When yeah, but you're at, black at work. Yeah, it's fine. But um. <laughs> But uh, but the point being not the N word, but the point being that he didn't know R. Kelly a day. He, oh no, he, that's one of the best things I've ever heard about it. Yeah, he said I, I don't know that motherfucker. I don't know that. Mo- I never met that motherfucker in my life. Uh, but yeah, so that's how I felt. the but the Chris Benoit the CNN Death Grip special uh, aired today uh, in two thousand seven. Eh, fuck CNN to fuck this CNN. day. <laughs> Uh, and finally, I know it's not today, um, but it is the week in professional wrestling. And the theme of this uh, podcast, uh, Wrestling Story, and its pay-per-views that change professional wrestling. Uh, uh, and it's November 9th that happens. Uh, uh, it's tomorrow in wrestling history. But November 9th, 1997, Survivor Series. Montreal. Oh, God. You know, I used to get such a joy out of talking about that, but now I'm just like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> and that's why we're not going to dwell. I'm just saying that the, the theme of this this episode's historian is pay-per-views that change professional wrestling, and that certainly did, uh, for better and for worse. It certainly did. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you fucking nailed that right. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And that, and that there you <laughs> gentlemen and ladies, is a wrestling historian. Hey, you know, keeping on the Hulk Hogan shit in a stroke of genius, mm-hmm. uh, he appeared on stage with all around good guy and not douchebag person at all, Jason Aldean. <laughs> Who didn't make a music video purposely on the grounds of a, a massacre against African American people and totally didn't write a song about dog whistling uh racism. A totally a good guy who didn't almost die of a heat stroke, and we would have not been lucky if that had happened. I would never say that because he's a great guy. Wow. Yeah, yeah, Hulk Hogan on stage at a Jason Aldean show was the uh, um, why didn't this surprise me mode of 2023. Just reading, just read the room, Hulk. <laughs> but no, he's not going to read the room. He doesn't. He, it's all done on purpose. It's, it's yeah. No, it's no shocker here. No, I mean Hogan on stage with Jason Aldean, Flair in the ring on AEW, sure. Yeah, no, we're not going to talk about that again. Nope. Because uh, we did a really good um, segment on it last week. Uh, I am going to say this. 
Tony Khan is a fucking coward. Yeah. Because the man went on his big Twitter tirade weeks ago. Had to be told to draw back. And uh, he won't answer to anyone. Yeah. And, and, and there's even a few people I'm watching. Nobody has any convictions. Hmm. Nobody. And that makes me look like a dickhead because I do. But I refuse to be yeah. fake about any of this. Um, Tony Khan, you're a pussy. I'm yeah. a nobody, so he doesn't have to answer to me, but, you know. Yeah, I was... I was... Explain yourself. Anyway, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I... I can't wait, but I can't wait because you know what's coming. Um, I swear to fuck if I have to watch Flair and Sting one more time. No, um, it's that's not what's coming. What what what's coming is, and um, I I like I said, I can wait and I can't wait. The Dark Side of the Ring episode on AEW is going to be phenomenal because it's coming. Because this current product, at the at the downhill rate that it's going, viewer wise, attendance wise, all the money in the world, and Tony Khan probably has all the money in the world, can't sustain that. He can't sustain that just with his mental state, um, of whatever he's in. Uh, he can't sustain it. So yeah, the dark side of the ring. Episode on the AE, on AEW, it's going to be because by then all the all the NDAs will have run out. There yeah. won't be anyone uh, left yeah. who can't talk about it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know yep. who um, texted me out of nowhere about that today was Ash. Really? Yeah. Uh, and she's like, "How many years do you think till AEW goes the way of WCW?" I was like, "One, two. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's hard to believe it's already been four years already. But I mean, TNA lasted how long? And TNA's numbers on the the Nashville network are way more. I mean, the TNA was averaging at least a million viewers every week. Even Nitro. On- Nitro, Nitro was over a million viewers every week still. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're not. I'm granted wrestling was, you know, was seen by a lot more people there, a lot more outlet. I mean, availability, but still, you know, they're not, they weren't doing rest, they weren't doing numbers in the hundreds of thousands. The hope you have of ever putting the WWF, WWE out of business. Died the moment they sold. Mm-hmm. That is over. That is a game that you don't have to play. And in fact, it's a game that Tony Khan and his um, fuck boys <laughs> are playing by them. They're playing with themselves. Like nobody else is playing this game. Mm-mm. Maybe the first year, you know, Vince was looking over his shoulder mostly to avoid the uh, sex scandal. 
uh, let me rephrase that him outed as a fucking abuser. Mm-hmm. By the way, Tony Khan, you're still a coward. Um, it's just, it's crazy to me that there. This is a, that he's a, he's still playing this game. Well, it's not a game to him. This is his. This is something he's always wanted to do since he. I was think a it kid. is. Unfortunately, I think it is a game to him. Oh, it, it it all is because he's playing fantasy Booker just like he did when he was a child, when he was a youth. Now he gets to play with all of his all of his little friends, um, and people that are not going to say no to him. People that are not going to tell him his ideas are stupid, or maybe you should. Hey, why don't you push this guy, or you know the guy that you keep putting on every single week. That he's, I know he's your favorite wrestler. You dressed up like him for Halloween, but he's killing your ratings. No one wants to see him. The people in the audience, sure, but the people that are watching at home, the ones you need to appeal to, they don't care about this guy. And the one, the biggest star you had, you ran him off. And you, instead of firing the person who, it's not going to mean shit to you, even though he's the son of a famous movie or TV star. He didn't. He's not going to do shit for you. No. But you fire the biggest star you've ever had in your company. Rather than try to appease him. Trying to do something that will. I mean, he gave him his own Saturday night show that was almost on his way to outdrawing your Wednesday night show. But then he killed that. Yeah, it um I never mind. I what well, 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 I don't want to make this an AEW bashing podcast, but like give but me a reason. But there's so much to bash. I like give me a reason to not. <laughs> Where's the different? I said it last week. You're no different. There is no difference. You're all the same. So give me a reason they're not the same. Because I even said, and the motherfucker didn't have anything to say, did he? On Twitter, it's they're different in name only. They're doing the same shit. Well, yeah, but did they have the... How is that different? Yeah. Crash TV already happened. Yeah. Make me believe. And when you have the young... You and I can debate Kenny Mm -hmm. Omega till the rooster comes home. (laughs) I, I... don't have it in me to come down on him as hard as you do, but you have different reasons, and that's mm-hmm. fine. The young bucks, fuck off. We don't want to talk to him. Mm. You can act big and bad on Twitter all you want to your little again, fuck boys. And I'm not talking about wrestling fans. I'm talking about the fuck boys. Yes, the bootlickers. Mm-hmm. Um. Do one or the other, wrestle or book. Don't yeah. do both. And we said, yeah, they need they need to hire actual bookers, what? or 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 assign that to somebody. And well, somebody needs to be the boss, not being the booker and the boss, Tony. And also, well, don't be a coward. Anyway, no, well, another thing's going to happen because if only he had some experienced wrestlers that are in your company that you know can impart some wisdom 
if not only not how to book, but how to feature certain guys and putting them in positions to make an impact, no pun intended, on your show. But when you have a company and you employ men that have such experience, like an Arne Anderson, a Tully Blanchard, a Jake Roberts, a Mark Henry, a Paul White, and hey, even the guy that was the head of talent relations for the biggest wrestling company on God's green earth of all time. Hey, maybe Jim Ross might have an ob- might have an idea too about how to make your life easier, Tony, so you wouldn't have to book everything and do everything by yourself. Just a suggestion. I mean, you want to hire Jim Ross to be your announcer only? Great. I'm sure he he loves the money and loves working once a month. I'm sure he but if you want to I don't know get more out of him or maybe give him another title in terms of, you know, talent management consulting, I'm not going to say Booker even though he could do it in his sleep with his eyes closed, you know. At this point I'm saying Booker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at this point I'm saying Booker. Uh, isn't Jeff Jarrett? Doesn't Jeff Jarrett work there too? And didn't he book an entire? Uh, we were just talking about TNA and how that outdrew everything that AEW is doing now. Whatever do you mean? That never happened. I do like them inviting uh, Cornette and our my my also my differences aside with Cornette, but I do like them inviting Cornette and <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not coming. He couldn't find it. Somebody else had to get the two for one deal uh, to go to because uh, they were offering a two for one deal uh, to anyone who came to the uh, the Yum Center in Louisville. Yum. To, yeah, but Cornette said I couldn't find another person to go for my go to two for one, so I can't make it. One of the damnedest things I've ever heard. Well, I think we'll leave it at that. Craig, where can people follow you? They can follow me if they so choose in my unmarked van full of candy. Uh, in candy, Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter, um, at Craig Legon, C R A I G L I double G E O N S. You can follow me getting into the marked van without asking questions on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky. Hive. I'm still trying to make Hive a thing. <laughs> YouTube, Twitch, TikTok, at DanLaw83. For the very tired Derek McDonald, hopefully we'll meet up soon. Um, For the uh, never tired and awesome airbrush shirt wearing motherfucker, Craig Laguns, I am the above average comedian, Dan Calchico. Keep it on the paper. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>